Retro Hangovers, supported via Patreon by listeners like you. We would especially like to thank patrons Lyle McCarns, Ashton Ruby, Randall Quiggle, Tony G, Studstill Smash the Milkman, Raging Demon, Katie Quigg, JC, Megan Caruso, Mast Keaton, Andrew Liguori, Ozzy Garcia, The Retro Vixen, Adam from The Good, The Bad, The Backlog, Lunchbox, aka The Disgruntled Gamer, Discimera, Jenny E, Rick Firestone, Parallax Puddles, Soha, Dave Jackson, Matt, aka Stormageddon, Retro Overdrive, Van Fernal, Keith Gasper, Eric Guess, Nomad from the Retro Wildlands Podcast, Ash Event, Alan Bingham, Storm Beagle, Ryan Player One, Mike the Ref from Backbreaker Gaming, B Ross from Super Garbage Day, Darth Emic, Low Five Alex, and Alt. Your continued engagement and generous donations are deeply appreciated. Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to the most recent episode of Retro Hangover. Gamers, welcome to the podcast where we zigzag and zazzle zebra zeroing zen with zest. This is Retro Hangover. I'm your co host, Chris Copeland, with special guest Matt, aka Stormageddon from the Fun and Games podcast, Screen Snark, and Reignite. And as always, your host, Shane. Zero Dick Suit Dragon Kaski. See, now I I can't get this mental image out of my brain of like Gorp in just this like skin tight blue suit <laughs> we need we need to get we need to get uh we need to get desk camera on that one that is a branding opportunity if i've ever seen one just <laughs> get zero suit gorp i am all about it i love it i also at some point would like to know how 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 does one zazzle a zebra you don't know i i mean i, I guess if i i guess if i have to ask it's probably i can't afford it is what it sounds like. That that's exactly what it is. That's you know, some secrets are best kept. That's I suppose that's, that's my true. Philosophy on this one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They they they're always happy afterwards. By the way, for what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> you, you you might say that the the ending is perhaps happy. Is that what we're getting at? Is that, is that what that is? Shane, I'm I'm done talking about finishing things. Uh, but <laughs> welcome to the show. Matt, glad to have you here. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm excited to be here. I have to say, the Shane introduction in person is even more glorious than I expected. Uh, it always makes me laugh when I'm listening, but like to actually witness the impressive um, um, lungs, breath, 
mouth work, as it were, uh, to keep that going, uh, is uh, that's from the zinging zebras. <laughs> from the zinging zebras right. is always always uh, a delight, and so uh, that was that was incredible to witness. I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here. A fan of the show, and uh, we're talking about one of my favorite franchises of all time. Well, a specific game in it, uh, but I uh, I'm excited to be here. We are excited to have you. Uh, I am also a fan of the Fun and Games podcast. Thank you, and very very happy to have you on here. Hi quality work over there at the fun and games podcast you should check it out and check out matt's other podcasts they do great work and i highly recommend all of their work thank you i appreciate it yeah we uh we strive for mediocrity so i'm glad someone enjoys it you know <laughs> as as all uh uh white indie podcasters do right you know that's just True. that's just just how it goes um yeah no uh it's great i give a lot of the credit to my co-host jeff uh it was well, technically, the brainchild of Funny Games was our wives being tired of us loudly shouting about video games and said, <laughs> why don't you just go start a podcast? And I already had one at the time. And so that was a horrible threat to make because they knew I would come through on it. And now many years <laughs> later, here we are. Matt was just like, bet. That <laughs> yeah, was pretty it. much. <laughs> that was pretty much it. Um, and yeah, it's been fun. And uh, yeah, we try and keep it interesting and light. Though this industry doesn't always make that easy, uh, but it's it's a fun show, and I hope folks check it out. Now, what is customary that we do, as as Shane would say, as we are wont to do, maybe as I would say, because yeah, I would say you, I, I, we've said this before. You've you've usurped that from me, so it's I feel it's yours now. It's it's mine now. Uh, but we like to talk about the games that we have been playing lately, and we'd love to start with our guests. So, Matt, what games have you been playing lately? So, uh, I just recently finished Cyberpunk 2077 and its DLC. I finished that about a week ago. Um, I ignored it when it came out uh, for a host of reasons, besides the transphobia and other things, of course, it being broken at launch and many other things. I kind of turned away from it, but I got it as a gift during the holidays. I was like, you know what? Let's try it. And then lost literally 40 hours of my life to it pretty quickly. I hadn't been up that obsessed with the world and its characters since Mass Effect, so I was just kind of really impressed with it. Still not perfect, but uh, but I really enjoyed it. And then the other thing I've been playing recently, uh, I'm very excited. Uh, the newest Like a Dragon game is coming out, the Yakuza franchise, for those who don't know, uh, Infinite Wealth, and I'm a big sicko for that franchise. I've played every game in it, and so the new one is out. By the time this airs, should be out already. And I was lucky enough to get a review code from the folks over at 47. And so I've been playing it and making my way through it slowly because it is a giant RPG. And I don't know if you guys realize this, but this year there are a few RPGs coming out. So, mm. <laughs> you know, just uh, if I want to play literally any of the others, I got to get through this one. But it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I'm, I really dig that franchise. And uh, if you haven't tried it, I highly recommend it because it's a lot. Of, it's like this even mix of melodrama and goofy ass shit. And it just it always lands. The tone is always perfect. And so I can't recommend it enough. But those are the two biggest things that I've been playing recently. And I, of course, did also play the game du jour, as you guys like to say. I did a quick uh, three and a half hour run, which was actually surprising that I got through it so fast. Usually it takes me a lot longer. Just shows that your skills are greatly improving. It's Heavy finger quotes thing. there, but sure. There you, go. <laughs> you said a lot of RPGs coming out this year. I, I'm at a point where I can't even keep up anymore. I'm just gonna <laughs> just gonna admit it. I think the only game from 2023 I played last year was Sea of Stars. It's a good one to and play. 
It was a good one to play, but only because I felt financially obligated to it because I was a major backer. Mm. Uh, so like, I was like, oh, I, I kind of have to play this one <laughs> or uh, I can't forgive myself. Don't regret it. It's a good game. I, I do have a review coming out on the Patreon in, in a while. It's going to be sometime in the next but like two that. years. Yes. <laughs> sometime in that time period. Uh, it is with Dave Jackson, though, from Tales from oh, the yeah. Backlog. So uh, we had we had a good conversation about that. But uh, Shane, how about yourself? What have you been playing? Oh man, let me let me tell you about the increasingly like narrow and specific sub sub genre of games that I've gotten myself involved in. Uh, so, oh no, <laughs> well, not okay, NFTs. Yeah, but uh, for, fortunately, not that. Although I did, okay, but I want to say like a year or two ago, briefly dabble in that. Uh, fun fact: crypto games are garbage. Don't waste your time. But anyway, <laughs> I'm shocked. Uh, yeah, shocked, shocked, not really shocked. No, so uh, you know, with, with the 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 pleth the plethora the the cornucopia of games, the the embarrassment of riches, perhaps that we have these days, uh, inevitably you're going to end up with you know very hyper specific games targeting like very niche things, right? So people have figured out what mine is. Clearly, they were talking about me specifically uh but we, we've got to the point now where i have multiple games that are vampire survivor likes they are isometric diablo one style graphics with all the trappings of a, of a good like rogue light and I, I was impressed when one of these came around which was halls of torment and i'm, I'm still playing that one actually that's it's on my list of things i've been playing recently as a matter of fact but uh, there is another one that I had on my wish list on Steam, and it went on sale, I want to say about a week ago. And so I picked that up and started playing it. And I I dare say it 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 might be better than Halls of Torment. Um, it's real good. It's it's called Death Must Die. And I oh, was I've playing seen this it. one. Yeah, I was playing it on stream uh, when I when I pinch hit for our stream the other day when Chris was physically incapable <laughs> of coming on. Uh, although he did for I the did last arrive. like half hour and it was interesting, let's say. Uh, hey, you know what? In my defense, uh, I don't mm. remember. Is the, okay, yeah. That's a you could go with that as a defense. <laughs> Uh, you know what? You don't remember, but the internet never forgets. So it's on, it's on YouTube. If everybody wants to go check that out. And I highly recommend that. Uh, but at any rate, um, so I've been playing that and it's been, it's been real good. I believe it's still early access right now, but it's already shaping up to be fantastic. So I've been having a lot of fun with that. Um, and then of course, besides our, our game du jour, uh, I've been trying to wrap up my character in season two of D4, which I feel like I did appreciably. Like I knocked out the whole battle pass, which is what I really wanted to do. And overall, you know, season two was a lot of fun. Like the the vampire theme was really cool. I think the mechanics were implemented really well. Um, I had a fun time with my pulverized druid, basically just running around smashing the shit out of things as a big bear. So that's cool. However, season three just started. And uh, by all accounts, it's kind of dog water. So that's cool. Um, seems we've taken a few steps back. <sighs> it's, it's the season of the construct. And like in theory, it's supposed to be kind of neat. Like we all get this little construct pet that we can like level up and 
customize with what are essentially runes. But in practice, so far, the general consensus is the pet is useless. And the 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 main conceit of season three being like these trap dungeons basically suck. So that's fun. Uh, I'm hoping maybe we'll get some hot fixes and, and make it better. But it's kind of a bummer to kind of take a step backwards, especially when it seemed like things were going in the right direction. So we'll see how that goes. But I, I, I rolled up a, a brand new fresh barbarian because barbarians are um, the the hotness this season with some of the, the buffs they've gotten to their skills. So I have yet to play one in D4. So I guess this is my opportunity. But that's that's pretty much what's been taking up my time. But uh, I don't know. What, what, do you, what do you got going on, Chris? I actually have been playing a lot of the game we are going to be talking about on our next main episode just because I'm mm. trying to get ahead of things because the game after that is... 40 to 50 hours. I should probably be doing that. <laughs> I mean, you you live your life how you want to, Shane. Uh <laughs> yeah, the thing is is like the, the the game the game next week is supposed to be 11 hours and it's taken me like a week and a half to get as far as I have and I looked at the clock and said 8 hours. I'm like, "Oh no, I need to budget my time a hell of a lot better, uh especially if I'm going to tackle the game after that." Aside from that, I have played some Castlevania 4 for the review crew. And R.I.P. Castlevania, based off the grades that came out there, I'm very shocked by how we how we received that. I'm it's not going to go into detail. I'm not going to go into detail about how it shaped up because I encourage people to go to the Discord and see what we thought about. Yeah, come and get disappointed for. yourself. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, <laughs> we can all be disappointed <laughs> together, or you can play whatever game we're playing next month, which should be a game under ten hours. So, hey, right up my alley right now. But uh, aside from that, I've been playing a little bit of Valkyrie Profile 2. Uh, I'm no, Valkyrie Profile as well, not Valkyrie Profile 2. <laughs> I have been enjoying what I have been playing of that. I can't go into detail because technically that's that's a side project. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. But I am enjoying it. I am enjoying it in, in some ways. I There are aspects about it that I do I can understand why it stayed niche for so long, but I'm I'm looking forward to to talking about that one way or another, and maybe someday I'll I'll tackle the entirety of it. Hopefully, this isn't the last time I talk about Valkyrie Profile here. It is a game from my childhood. I did enjoy it, but aside from that, it's been relatively quiet in terms of stuff I've been playing outside of what I play for the show. Unfortunately, hopefully, I have more to report next week, and uh, it's not going to be Pokemon with guns. So. You know, we can we can all wait on that. I'll, I'll see how my my kids feel about that one. They were screaming at each other. Well, my my youngest and his friend about the the Pokemon with gun game pal pal world. I'm interested to see how that discussion goes. I'll just live vicariously through them and see if they play that game. And I'll report back any information if I haven't played anything new, Shane. OK, great. Thank you for that, I guess. <laughs> you don't want to play Pokemon with guns? I not not really. I don't know. Like there there have been some other pretty decent takes on on the pokey formula over the past several years that yeah. I, I briefly seem interested in, and then I'm just like, yeah, it's a seems it seems like a lot of work, and then I don't. <laughs> I, I'm really just gonna I'm gonna watch from the sidelines, and I'm just hoping it's a train wreck of litigation, <laughs> but we'll see. 
All right. Well, that brings us to our brief history for the day. And we have a game to talk about for all of you. And that game is Metroid Zero Mission. As many of you may recall, or maybe very few of you, depending who's been back from those days, we have talked about the original Metroid on the show. I, did, I think we did. Uh, <laughs> yes, lying, yes, we did. <laughs> Yes, we did. Okay, cool. I'm not I'm not going insane. Okay, so uh, today we are talking about Metroid Zero Mission. And as we are, I'm not going to say want to do again. I just did anyway. But as we do, we are going to give you the brief history. So Shane. Yes. Why don't you please give our dear listeners a brief history on Metroid Zero Mission. people know of the legacy of the Metroid franchise. One half, the earlier half, of the oft-overused genre descriptor Metroidvania, the series introduced many a gamer to a semi-open action platformer, where new abilities allowed access to new areas, while still creating a gameplay flow that felt relatively non-linear. By 2002, the series had firmly established itself as one of Nintendo's premier franchises. Even though it had taken a brief hiatus after 1994's Super Metroid on the Super Nintendo Entertainment System, completely skipping the N64, it had returned with highly successful entries on the GameCube with Metroid Prime and the Game Boy Advance with Metroid Fusion, the official fourth entry in the series. Nintendo would see the series return success and decide to do something it doesn't normally do for most of its flagship properties, release a sequel within the same generation and within a short time frame. While the GameCube would receive a direct sequel to its game, the Game Boy Advance would initially start in a completely different direction. At the time, Nintendo and other third parties were finding some success porting their Super Nintendo games to Nintendo's handheld. As such, the initial decision was to port Super Metroid to the device, a seemingly perfect fit, and would assign Nintendo R&D 1 to handle development. However, Director Yoshio Sakamoto, the only member from the original Metroid on the project, and also the director of Metroid Fusion, decided against the idea. Sakamoto would instead opt to remake the first game in the series, wanting to show people who came to the series with Fusion where the foundation of Metroid began, while also taking the opportunity to retell the story of Samus Aran's first adventure. Sakamoto also wanted to do this while making the game feel fresh and in alignment with contemporary design. This would be accomplished by taking a custom version of Fusion's engine, which also meant that the remake didn't have to be completely built from scratch. Nintendo would announce Metroid Zero Mission at E3 2003, with an initial North American release on February 9th of 2004. This release would be followed by Australia's on March 19th, Europe's on April 8th, and finally, in Japan on May 27th. The critical reception was universally high, with most publications awarding it around a 90% in aggregate. 
Reviewers would praise how the remake was nearly flawlessly executed, in addition to taking many of the concepts that had been established by the series since its inception and implementing them into Zero Mission for an overall fantastic experience. Commercially, however, it would not fare as well. While initial sales in the United States were strong enough to make it the best-selling Game Boy Advance game for February of 2004, sales quickly dipped in the months after. Metroid Zero Mission would ultimately sell approximately 840,000 copies worldwide, the bulk of which coming from North America. Approximately only 69,000 units were moved in its home country of Japan. Even with sales numbers that may not be the best for Nintendo, the game's legacy was strong enough to appear on many best GBA lists in the future, in addition to receiving a virtual console re-release on the Wii U. And that is your brief history of Metroid Zero Mission. All right, thank you for that brief history, Shane. One thing that always amazes me is just how poorly Metroid does in Japan. It seemed like this is this is after Metroid Prime. I understand when Metroid Prime was Western developed, but Metroid Fusion seemed like that was successful. Handheld systems, they are rather successful in Japan. This is a flagship series for Nintendo. And when like we say it, it didn't do as well in the brief history because I wrote this, that's why I, this is why I say this. This is a Nintendo flagship franchise. So usually if it's a flagship franchise, anything under a million is usually viewed as underperforming by Nintendo. And it's always it always surprises me that it, it does better in North America, but it had it's had that strength throughout, it's had that reputation throughout in in spite of its comparatively lowered success to to Zelda and Mario, even though a lot of gamers hold Metroid uh, the series in that regard. And here we are at Zero Mission, which is a callback to the first one and it, it doesn't seem like much changed at this point in 2004. Yeah, it's it's always strange to me that Metroid is... It, it's like there's this like doublespeak kind of around that franchise where it's generally regarded as like a tentpole for Nintendo, but at the same time, I feel like it's never truly treated as such. Like, I feel like it always gets, you know, like the the... The, the it's like Nintendo's hand-me-downs or something. They're just like, yeah, we'll 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 get to that. It, yeah, we 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 know we we got Metroid. We'll we'll do something with that at some point. Just be, but hey, just be. What happy about Mario? Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those franchises that like for as long as I've loved it, hell, it has a whole fucking genre named after it. Like it it's just astonishing that it doesn't sell incredibly well although that has now changed with its most recent release but also when that was announced i thought that was never going to happen like i it completely blew me away that we were getting another 2d metroid for the switch and of course it sold well because the switch sold well right like mm -hmm. there were so many people who it's one of the highest selling consoles i mean in nintendo's history and in general and so of course, more people are going to have it. But until then, yeah, it's always been one of the lowest selling franchises. Its highest selling game, I think, was equivalent to like Zelda's lowest selling game, something like that, like a similar statistic like that. It's just wild to me. And the fact that it's more popular here, I don't get that either. But I don't know if there's a statistic that Metroidvanias are more popular here, too. But like, it just always astonished me that like, of all the flagship franchises, this is the only one that exclusively always sells better in the States versus the others is kind of really interesting to me. Oh, absolutely. I, I would 100% agree. I don't know. But 
let's get into this game as as North Americans that we are <laughs> <laughs> and see and see what we what we all think about this one. So we are we are going to get into our personal experiences. I have a feeling, Matt, that you probably have the most robust. Maybe Shane does. I'm not sure which between the two of you. We may all have good experiences with this, but uh, Shane, I'm I'm just going to roll the dice here, and you can murder me later. Uh, what are cool. your personal experiences with with Metroid <laughs> Zero Mission? Right. So Zero Mission. Um, so I I had had because I at some point I don't recall when, but I I went through and did a sweep of most of my physical games and traded them in for for credit at some point, and this was a casualty of that. But I did have a physical copy of it for my GBA back in the day. Um, I recall playing it on my, my OG GBA, actually. I don't recall exactly when. I don't want to say that I had gotten it. Well, I might have gotten it around release. I don't know, because it was, what, like 2004? Yeah. yeah. Um, so that that is a possibility, because I'm just trying to think. 2004 would have been when I was graduating high school. So yeah, probably. It was probably right around that time. But yeah, I just remember picking it up and I almost feel like I want to say, and of course at this point I'm like, I'm like damn close to 40 at this point. So like my brain is just like, yeah, I don't know. What did I have for breakfast yesterday? I don't know. But I think if my memory serves that I don't even think I knew that this was a remake of the original Metroid uh, at first. Like when I, when I bought it, I, I think I just literally saw like Metroid and was like, oh sweet, I'm going to get that. And then realized after the fact that I was like, oh, this is, this is the first game, but like, but like better. Because if you recall, if you went back and listened to our Metroid episode, I had talked about how I owned a copy of that for my NES way back in the day. And it was one of those games that I, I always enjoyed playing, but struggled with uh, a lot for many of the reasons that I talk about in that episode. But honestly, I think the biggest one was just like a lack of a map and just totally getting lost all the time. And I wasn't sitting down and drawing it out on graph paper, which I probably should have. Um, so that alone makes this uh, a huge improvement because there's a really fantastic map feature. Yeah, it was, I, I want to say it was around that time, and I do remember really enjoying myself with it. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of my my take on it. But I don't know, what about you, Chris? It sounded like maybe you hadn't had a lot of experience with this prior, or is that accurate? So, similar to you, I have a physical copy of this game. Well, I didn't have one. I still have it. Yes. I don't know when I bought it. I know it was probably sometime in probably 2005 because 2004 would not have been a time I was buying video games. Uh, November of 2003 is when I joined the Navy. And if you don't know anything about joining the military, they completely strip you of all possessions, especially if you're 18 and single. You're just like thrown into boot camp and then you're given a plane ticket and told go to a barracks and you, you can grab stuff, but I was not interested in that. So... I was in boot camp until February of 2004, and I didn't have any means to play any Game Boy Advance games until December of 2004 when I went up to Maine for training and bought a DS there because the DS was the big thing and had a Game Boy Advance slot. And 
I think I just kind of scoped out game stops because the DS was the DS and the Game Boy Advance, you know, as as games anyway, were kind of my lifeblood because I didn't have a TV. So like portable games were my thing. So I, I have a copy of Fusion, which I've actually gone back and played recently and figured out I was at the end of the game with like all the items and stuff like that. And I also <laughs> have a copy of Zero Mission. Now, uh, for this episode, I played it on my Wii U virtual console because it was just easier to do, much crisper, looks better, multiple ways of playing, multiple control features, save states, all that all that fun stuff. But uh, yeah, I, I did have it. And I do remember looking back at that time and always asking myself, which Metroid game did I like? Uh, I don't know how vocal I've been about it on this podcast, but I am not the biggest Metroid fan. I actually do not like uh, Super Metroid, even though I love Metroidvanias. I'm one of those heretics. Uh, I, I don't like the original Metroid. I haven't played Metroid 2. I probably would like Metroid 2 based on what I've heard from Metroid uh, about Metroid 2. But I, I do somewhat like Fusion. And maybe is this the one I liked or was it Fusion? I guess we'll find out at the end of the episode. I think I kind of kind of hinted at giving it away. But I've always been wondering, like, what was the Metroid game I really, really, really loved? And now that I've played it, maybe this is the game. Maybe it was Fusion. I'm doing a horrible job hiding this. But like, um, <laughs> yeah, there was a time I was, I was playing a ton of them. Uh, just all these portable games, and that was Metroid for me. Now, like, life took over, you know, a lot of deployments. I don't remember a lot about that time period, but uh, I, I do know that it was definitely part of my portable gaming experience when that was all I had to play. So it was very formative in one way or another, even if I can't exactly piece everything together from that time. But yeah, Met Metroid was Metroid Zero Mission was definitely a game I had in my library, my meager library, because you can't buy a ton of games when you're only making five hundred dollars every two weeks, and you get you got to do what you got to do, uh, because uh, especially when you're dumb with money, which I definitely was, I still am, but uh, <laughs> for that matter, but when you're not making nearly as much and you're dumb with money, uh, you, you don't have a lot, so that was definitely Im important to me. I I I would imagine. Uh, for me to play and make it through. Uh, probably not as much as the Metroidvania, Castlevania games, because I, I definitely remember those. But uh, what about yourself? What about yourself, Matt? What's your personal experiences with the Zero Mission? So I am what the uh, scientists call a sicko. Um, <laughs> and I have been playing Metroid since it was on the NES. I, too, like Shane, loved the first Metroid. Was I any good at it? Absolutely not. Probably never left uh, the original, like the opening area. I don't think Brinstar. I think mm -hmm. is the opening area. Um, yes. Like I don't. I don't even think I got it out of there. I got a Super Nintendo fairly late, but when I did, one of the three games I bought was Super Metroid, and that's where my love of the franchise really bloomed. And so, something else to know about me is I had a Game Boy, a regular. I got a regular Game Boy late, but when the, I heard the Game Boy Advance was coming. Like, it was the first console I really recall saving up for, handheld-wise, and I got one as soon as I could. And so when I heard there was going to be a brand-new Metroid game called Metroid Fusion coming, I was like, oh, I'm buying that day one. And I did, and I loved it. And so when Zero Mission did get announced shortly after, I was like, hell yeah, I'll get it. I, I think I knew it was a remake, but I was also an idiot kid, so who knows? I am in my 40s, so I can't remember shite either. 
but I'm <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I was excited for it, and I'm pretty sure that I knew it was a remake. I don't remember if I beat it then. I, I've beaten it several times since, but I can't remember if I finished it then. I don't think so because I, in the lead up to Dread, which we talked about earlier briefly, like when I found out that was coming out, first of all, I lost my goddamn mind because I thought that game was dead. But then I went that year, I like were like the two months we had till it was coming out because it was one of those Nintendo, hey, we're announcing this and two months later, it's going to be out. Surprise. I replayed the entire franchise and... I got to the a section we'll talk about later towards the end of the game and went, I don't remember this at all. So <laughs> if I'd played it when I was younger, I don't remember it. Fusion, I know toe, toe to tip. I played that multiple times as a kid. But yeah, I definitely own this when it came out. I unfortunately don't own my any of my original games anymore, except for a handful of PlayStation 2 games. I did, thanks to a good friend of mine, acquire a copy of Metroid fusion for a decent price and the original metroid prime for the gamecube i would like to recollect all of the metroid games because there's not as many of them um i already have all of the metroid uh, amiibos except for one of the parts of the two pack of the samus returns remake because nobody was buying that game when it came out because it came out after the switch was out so i only have the metroid from that two pack not samus but needless to say i'm an obsessive about the franchise i love the 2D games. I played uh, Prime 1 for the first time last year when it came to the Switch, which was incredible. Um, I was one of those idiots. I don't know if you know this about gamers. We can be pretty dumb for stupid reasons. And when Metroid what? Prime came... Right? <laughs> uh, and when Metroid Prime came out, I went, oh, first-person shooter? That's for jocks and idiots. I'm not playing a Metroid first-person shooter. It was Call dumb. of was, Samus? No thanks. I'm so I was so you joke, but that was pretty much it. It's the same reason I never played Wind Waker. The opposite I went the opposite way. It's like, oh, this looks so cutesy. What the hell? So I still have to make up for that sin. But uh, I didn't play Prime when it came out because I, I was an idiot and I played it now, and it's of course one of the best Metroid games ever made. Uh, which I know now, but I was obsessed with the 2D games and have always been, and they're my preference. I liked Prime. It was great. It was a lot of fun. But the 2D games are where I sing. Like, I have a copy of, I haven't started it yet, but the new Prince of Persia, uh, The Lost Crown, is a Metroidvania, and I'm so mm. excited to play it because I love that franchise. And so, yeah, needless to say, uh, I have a lot of experience with this game, and I was very eager to see it on your list of games you were going to cover and go, ooh, that one. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I've heard a lot of good things about that new Prince of Persia game. Yeah, it's getting rave reviews. I have a bunch of friends who oh, played it, and I'm definitely excited to eventually get to it. Because, you know, there are no games coming out right now, so there's totally a ton of time to play it. Yeah, no, <laughs> definitely. And it's not like we all don't have these massive looming backlogs that we'll take to our graves or anything. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. I have. That's why I have kids, Shane, so I can pass off my problems to them. I oh. mean, inheritance. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> pass, pass on to them a legacy, right? Totally. Yeah. They'll, they'll love the physical media that will end up at a garage sale sometime in the future. Um, <laughs> Generational burden. Fantastic. <laughs> well, I'm happy to hear, Matt, that you like Metroid. We have a big Metroid fan here because that's going to counterbalance myself. Shane, also a Metroid fan, but, you know, I ignore Shane most of the time anyway. <laughs> so it's uh, fair. This will <laughs> be good. So let's get into the the story and, and the writing here. Uh, this is a remake of the first Metroid. Hmm. So this is Samus Aran's first first mission. You're going back to Zebus, baby. You're you're gonna go kill the mother brain. That's what you're gonna do. But is that all you do? Hmm. 
that's uh it's it's a retelling of that first story that many people know very very well and and love where you're just dropped off at a planet and you got to go figure stuff out that's that's what the nes version was and that's kind of what's going on here you got to go kill the metroids the federation is telling you you got to go kill the metroids you are a mercenary you are a bounty hunter this is what you do this is your this is your life so you you just kind of go off and you you do what you can that's that's the long and the short of it really uh, not really much else there until just it kind of develops and there's lore behind it and all that stuff like that, which is stuff you could look up outside of it. I'm I'm sure there's tons of it. I, I in fact I know there is. Uh, but uh, if if you're just going into this cold, that's all the information you're really given. So I'm going to start with Shane here. Then we'll head over to Matt. Shane, what what's your thoughts on the story and the writing for Metroid Zero Mission? I mean, it's it's kind of hard to say much about the writing necessarily because there, frankly, really isn't any um, outside of perhaps a, a few little text crawls or what have you. But I will say that uh, we definitely have to give the, the team credit where it's due in that one of the goals that they had was trying to build in a little bit more actual story and and plot to to the game i mean a lot of the the backstory is available in the instruction booklet for the original right that's that was sort of the mo back then um not a lot was necessarily going to be explained during gameplay it was more like here's here's the the window dressing here's to set things up okay now go do your thing which was you know it was the style at the time uh, much like onions and belts but in this case, I, I really appreciate, and this sort of dovetails a little bit into the graphics, but I, I really appreciate the inclusion of the the short cutscenes, and as well as like the additional story points and story beats that they include that were never a part of the original. That kind of touched just a little bit on some of Samus's origins, uh, which I thought was pretty neat, and it, it ties things together really well. I think with some of the added areas that you come across you know, towards the sort of back quarter of the game or so. So all that to say that there really isn't necessarily a lot of writing or dialogue, but for something that came out in 1986 that really didn't have any plot whatsoever baked into the game itself, I think they did it in a in a pretty, pretty ingenious way to sort of like make it feel like it's a natural part of of the game. Like if you didn't know any better... It, it's not like these pieces stand out as something that kind of got like shunted into the middle of a pre-existing game. Like everything flows very naturally. And so by and large, I think the the game overall really benefited from from the inclusion of those, you know, short cutscenes and what have you to kind of build a little bit more on that on that backstory. So it's funny, you know, this game follows probably the most story and writing heavy game in the franchise up before Dread, which was mm. Fusion which had not only dialogue boxes and a, and a t- huge narrative and like a ton of cutscenes and stuff, like quote-unquote cutscenes, like it had uh, Samus's inner monologue for the first time ever. And aside from like one scene, this game doesn't even have that. It has these like still, like these 
moving still like these still images that are cutscenes essentially like these different things that we would see or these like sm- slightly moving images stuff that the Game Boy Advance was good at doing which I think enhance it I agree uh, like there's one early on where when you're descending into Brinstar like they show the mother brain seeing you and like kind of watching you right and mm-hmm. I, I love those kind of bits of flavor but yeah there's no writing here except for literally one moment near right before the last phase of the game but I think also 90% of the Metroid games don't really have heavy plot even the ones like Fusion and Dread Later and and the Prime series their plot is still mostly through moving through the game. You encounter things as you go. It is very rare that they take control away from you, except for that one really bad Metroid game that we don't talk about. So um, <laughs> the 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 plot and writing here is kind of non-existent, but the way they kind of, well, the plot's there, the writing's non-existent, but the way they show the plot, I think is really creative. Like Shane said, without really interrupting the flow of the game, there's these quick moments that you get to see stuff happening that you're like, oh, I wonder what this means. But mostly, that's not what I'm coming to Metroid games for. I love the story of the Metroid world, but I think it's funny. I used to make fun of folks who play Dark Souls, but I get it the more I play the Metroid franchise over because the storytelling is through the gameplay and through the world and through codexes or whatever else. And like, I love that about this franchise. It's why I think it's one of my favorites is that I just get to experience it as I go. They don't like throw on the brakes so you can experience the story, which I don't mind in other games also, but I think is kind of the strength of this game is that you kind of just experience the plot as you move through it. It's not exclusively like, here's the whole story. Let's explain it to you. You kind of just got to learn it as you go. So so I heard you mention something about that, that one horrible Metroid game. I have to assume that you've feel that way uh how do i phrase this you feel a way about a metroid game you've heard rumored that was for the wii much like i feel about a a game uh, a lunar game i've heard was on the nintendo ds correct yes this game that supposedly exists but you know i don't believe it actually really ever came out Oh, okay. We're we're Metroid. some other <laughs> Metroid game. Yes, correct. So yes, we're we're, we're adding this to the uh, the urban legends list of like uh, that other Indiana Jones movie with something about a skull that never happened. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Got it. Okay. Um, I also do want to say because you had mentioned Chris how you played. Um, I did play this game. I didn't play it on original hardware, and I didn't play an original copy, but I emulated it on the analog pocket, which honestly is better than the original hardware. Uh, it is one of the most gorgeous looking handheld devices I've ever owned. It does the equivalent of HD for the pixels. And it just like, we'll talk about it more when we get to graphics and sound, but it's, it's the best way I've ever experienced this game. And I think that the, the plot related cutscenes that we saw in this game never looked clearer, crisper and better than they did on this device. And so, uh, I think I even shared a few like doing that stupid thing, like taking a photo of my Game Boy with my phone, but uh, oh, I, I I do that all the time. It's it's fine. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's no such thing as that other M thing. It doesn't exist. Yeah, moving on. N- never heard of it. Yeah, never. Uh, I do want to check it out. To be honest, just to, out of morbid curiosity, because it honestly has some of the better gameplay in the games. It did some creative stuff. It was like a proto. Samus Returns slash uh, Dread style combat. It's the story that's horse poopy. <laughs> By the way, I will I will shamelessly plug your podcast. Go check out Fun and Games because they did an episode on the Analog Pocket. We did. Almost makes me want to buy one. I just I can't justify it. <laughs> I get it. 
Uh, something I didn't <laughs> mention earlier is that like I'm a handheld obsessive. I I prefer to play things handheld. My Switch is almost never docked. Sit on my couch with it. Uh, Steam Deck Same. is my preferred way to play Steam games. And so for me, the analog pocket was easy to justify only because my preferred way to play games is handheld. And once I found out I could add uh, emulators for Super Nintendo, Nintendo, Sega Genesis, like actual like TV consoles onto it, I was like, all right, I'm in. Let's go. As well as Game Silver. Boy, Game Boy Advance, Game Boy Color, Game Gear, Neo Geo Pocket. Like it was just, it was a. But was you no could do all of that on your Steam Deck. Yeah. I didn't have a. I think I bought this before the Steam Deck came out, but I received it after the Steam Deck came out. I feel like uh, that's right. But yes, you're correct. You can also see, do all that. See, that's the one thing that was keeping me from because I've I've been seeing that <laughs> analog pocket. I was like, that that sure is real nice. But then I'm like, I nope, can, nope, nope, nope. But can't. I can put this device in my pocket. You can't do that with the Steam Deck unless you're really mean, big listen, man, jeans. I was I was literally just about to say that. Yep. Like Jinkos are coming back, man. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean I use my Steam Deck for PS2 games. It's how I played Max Payne for the first time this year. So it has its uses. Now, in terms of the plot myself, I I would just echo a lot of what you two said. I do like what it does at the at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. I was not expecting that. Uh, I remember taking a picture after a certain event in this game and being like, yeah, yeah, here, I'm going to share this on Discord and let everyone know about this. And then I was like, oh, okay, I got to <laughs> I got to keep doing stuff. Mm. This is interesting. <laughs> I was not expecting that. So uh, I probably gave a little bit away. I mean, who cares? Spoilers, right? We do that from time to time. And you're, you're smart people. I, I assume that a lot of you have played this game already anyway. So you know what I'm talking about. But in terms of the actual storytelling, I was quite surprised of how much it throttled back with respect to what Fusion did. Because I had just played Fusion before this. The Prime games, I, I, I haven't really sat down and played them to much to my embarrassment, but from what I understand, they they do a little bit more storytelling than than what the average Metroid game does do. Of course, this is because maybe it's because from a Western studio or, or whatever the case might be. But I understand they're very faithful to uh, the Metroid formula overall. But when I look at Zero Mission, like looking at the history and the development and and what Sakamoto wanted to do, yeah, I I, I get why he why he did that because he did want, he did want to throttle back. He's like, okay, a lot of people like Fusion, but Hey, Metroid's been here a lot longer than Fusion, and I want to I want to give you that opportunity. And even when you look at what he wanted to do, why the cinematics are there, because he he did feel like you got to add that little bit extra for for today's audiences. You just can't have them play and give them nothing. There has to be some explanation, and that's why it's there. So I think this this game does a really good balance of it because even in Fusion, when you're going through the different areas you go and they're all numbered and they're pretty much telling you exactly in the in the number that you're going to be doing everything and every single time you go up an elevator you get this monologue from samus after a while that gets like just come on get to the point like nah i don't i don't care about this actually i want to go back to the original metroids we didn't say anything for a bit because i'm in the zone not to say that the, the lore is not important but like I'm used to that from from Castlevania, even like in Symphony of the Night. I'm like, I don't I don't care what you have to say. I know I got to go kill the vampire. I got to go kill the scary thing and I got to go save the day. And I know he's possessed. OK, whatever. I don't care. But that's this. That's all like my mentality. So like here back in Zero Mission, just throwing sewing through the cinematics. And it's kind of like, um, what's that YouTube channel where where Samus is like the baby and jumping all over the place and uh, just killing everything. They, they do that no with a couple other uh, games. 
I, I can't. They do Star Fox too, and I, I, I'm not sure. I can't remember the name. It's, it's brilliant though. But um, that's like kind of the attitude I want. But that's why I love the way Zero Mission just executes. There's there's not really much of a there's not really much of a story, but it's better than what the original Metroid, you know, presented. When you have Ridley, that looks like this monster that just like has his chin tucked in really tight, and now it actually like oh Rid Ridley, I know Ridley. The Ridley's here. Ridley's here to fuck shit. Oh shit, like we gotta go take care of Ridley. And yeah, like now it all makes sense because you understand the lore because you've had all these years of it. And in that sense, the game doesn't even necessarily need to tell you that. Uh, maybe in 2004, I don't, but I don't think so. I think that was pretty well known by that point. The internet had been around and, and people understood things. So I, yeah, I think Zero Mission really, really did what it needed to do. It didn't need to do anything more than what it did. I think that the way that told its story is phenomenal, uh, top notch. And I, I don't want monologues from Samus and Zero Mission because. If it's supposed to be a remake of the NES that gave you nothing, just a little bit more that it gave you was exactly what it needed to do. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. So moving in to the next subject, I will let Matt take this one over. So Matt, we're going into gameplay. I want you to tell me what makes Zero Mission Zero Mission from a gameplay perspective. I was going to say what makes it so special. I, I think that's where you're going to go with it. But... I'll let you just just kick it off and, and start your flow. What what do you think of Metroid Zero Missions gameplay? I mean, it's one of the best controlling Metroid games ever made. Arguably one of the best controlling Metroidvania games ever made. I said earlier, I think, and even if I didn't, anyone who follows me anywhere knows that Metroid Fusion is my favorite Metroid game of all time. There are a lot of reasons for it, and it controls well, but I think that there's something about Zero Mission that just feels so tight. In fact, the first couple hours when you have literally no powers except the Morph Ball, I kept thinking, oh, there was a ledge grab in the last game. Why don't I have that in this game? But the ledge grab is actually a power-up you get in this game, unlike the later games. And I think that was actually, like, suffering through that just long enough to then get it and make it easier to traverse. I went, oh, this makes sense. For the way they redesigned this game, this makes sense. I don't believe the ledge grab existed in the original, but using something like that, which I, I, I can't remember if you could grab ledges in Super Metroid, but I know you could in Fusion. Like Little things like that made the exploration and the growth of the gameplay just feel so natural. There was never a moment where I was going, this is a slog. I wish I had the next power up. I would get just frustrated with the things I couldn't reach, the lava pits, the acid, whatever, just long enough. And then I'd get the upgrade and go, oh, thank God. And then be able to explore more. As far as shooting, aiming, it's one of the early games to give us the, the button dedicated diagonal shooting, which makes this game so much easier than its predecessors. I think it was in Fusion as well. The combat is important in Metroid, but it's not the most important thing. I liked the gameplay of the combat, but it's the gameplay of the exploration, the jumps, the the morph ball, the climbing, all of that that really matters to me because that's what these games are about. You're not really getting experience from killing enemies in this. You're getting health and rockets and whatever else, missiles. But like, there are tons of rooms that once I was really going that I was leaping, ju jumping, rolling, bombing, and just moving through enemies without even fighting them. But it's, it to me at least, and I don't think it's an unpopular opinion, this is easily one of the best controlling Metroid games ever made. And going back to it on the analog pocket, I didn't, it didn't skip a beat. Like it still feels solid. It, there was like no 
issues with controlling button presses, you know, what I needed to use the shoulder buttons for. It all worked really well. And I was actually quite surprised because I've gone back to other Metroid games like Super Metroid. You were mentioning earlier, Chris, you have some issues with maybe hasn't aged well. I agree. I, re I replayed Super Metroid three or four years ago and really struggled at the back half of the game because the control just wasn't as tight as the Game Boy Advance games. And we didn't have Dread at the time. And like, so it's hard to go back to that game. Honestly, I wish they would do a remake of Super Metroid because I think in the Dread engine, they could do some really cool stuff. Because all the other games, the both GBA games, and like they, they just play masterfully. And I really like the Samus Return remake for the 3DS, though not everyone does. But yeah, I can't praise the gameplay enough for this. I think it's 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 not my favorite Metroid game, but it's one of my favorite Metroid games because of that. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna jump on this next tier and almost agree a hundred percent with you. One of my biggest issues I have with the Metroid series is its controls. I can't stand them, especially Super Metroid, where it's like you gotta know how to do the wall jump. I don't like doing the wall jump. I really can't stand it. Or or sometimes the screw attack. And uh, the way that you jump, sometimes that you don't do the screw tech, you don't, you don't, or you don't spin, sometimes you do. That always kind of frustrates me. And the controls here in, in Zero Mission, they always feel right. There, there's, there's no confusion with me whatsoever. And you're right. Having, having the angled shots, they, they feel natural, especially with the way that the buttons are mapped out. The, the control is, is very smartly designed with how the, the Game Boy Advance was, well, the SP was out by this point, I would imagine. Yes. So, I mean, it's still smartly designed around how the Game Boy Advance was was designed controller-wise. It didn't really ask too much out of the player. And, like, it, it just, it's just, ah, it feels so good. It feels <laughs> so good. I don't, I don't know what else to say. It feels, it feels very natural uh, and very organic. Like, I don't have to think about what I'm doing too often. And that's how a game should feel. And Metroid Zero Mission accomplishes that in spades. I also like the fact that I never felt lost, that this game did give me a map. It let me know where I wanted to go. But at the same time, it didn't really feel like it was holding my hand, which is something that I felt like Fusion did a little too much. So here it is. It's saying, hey, go here. But there's plenty to do in between where you are now and where here will be. And it's up to you to figure out what the best way to get to that location is, because it, it's not going to always be straightforward. This is something you are going to have to figure out. This is something that you, you are going to have to navigate and explore in order to find the solution to get to where you want to go. And I, I do feel like a lot of Metroidvanias get get pinged when, because this one did too, because a lot of people are like, oh, it's too handholdy. But it feels like Metroid gets shit on when it does that and a lot of other metroidvanias don't and i i don't really think that's fair just because i think of of metroid's legacy overall i mean it's just saying hey this is yeah shiny point right here but we know you're going to do other shit in the interim it, we know that because this is what this kind of game is and of course the one thing i, I have mixed feelings on is i do think this the series tries to engineer you to want to be a speedrunner. I am not a speedrunner. <laughs> I have no interest in being a speedrunner. Uh this game, but the game does want you to do that. Fine, whatever. Not not my bag, but I can still have fun while I am doing this. Uh also, I mean, oh the boss boss fights. Boss fights were a major upgrade. A little easy, a little too easy, uh, especially compared to Fusion. I don't think they're anywhere near as good as Fusion, but you have to think that the 
compared to the source material. Uh, they could do more original things with Fusion than they could here. Like the battle with Kraid was really disappointing, I thought, but it's it's still a lot better than the NES one where you just kind of sit there with like the ice beam or the wave beam and just hit turbo and like done. Yeah, it's it's a it's a remake. It's an upgrade. And so, so much in the in the flavor of what the Resident Evil remake was too. like everything was going on there. And they just this is how you remake a game because it takes everything that the original did and it takes Super Metroid and it takes Metroid Fusion and just slams everything in. It takes everything they learned and like here's a completely new experience in this in, in the same thing that you were doing with, with the NES. And it, it's brilliant. I, I There it is. It's brilliant. Well, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what else to say after that. Uh, <laughs> now, I, I certainly don't have any real dissenting opinion on the gameplay. Uh, as soon as I fired this up, I was just like, "Oh yeah, yeah, it's all coming together." Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but no, I mean, it, 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 yeah, it feels real good to play. Um, the the one thing that stands out to me, and I think it, it, in the grand scheme of things, it's it's pretty minor, but to me, it's really important, and I'm I'm sure I'm not alone in this, but. I, I truly appreciate how precise sticking the landing of a jump is in yeah. this game, yes. especially given that it's a platformer. Um, you'd think that that would be a given, but a lot of games don't really nail that. And we've talked about that many times on the show where floaty controls or slippy slidey physics just kind of ruins the experience. And this does not have that like, when you when Samus jumps wherever you land, you are you are sticking that landing. It's like you you got like freaking Velcro on your feet, and it's fantastic because it's so precise. I never had an instance where I was just like, "Oh, cool! I just fell into lava because I apparently misjudged the corner of that block or some dumb shit like that." So I really appreciate that, and I I kind of put this game in the same sort of category in my mind as something like Ocarina of Time for the 3DS in that this this looks and feels like what my brain thinks Metroid looked and feel felt like <laughs> obviously 100%. yeah it obviously that is absolutely not true uh, and you go back and do a comparison and you're just like, oh, oh, okay, right. Yeah, that's that's what that looks like. Same deal with Ocarina. You know, I played the shit out of that when I was a kid. And then when the remake came out, I played it again. And I was like, yeah, this is this is exactly what I remember. And then I dropped it into my N64 and I was like, oh, oh right. Uh, but I digress. Point is, is that they really nailed the feel of the source material really from just about every angle but you know especially the gameplay in that you think that this is what it felt like but that's because they improved it in all the right ways that it feels so good that your brain is just like yeah this this must have been what this was like back when i played it before so yeah i i really don't have a whole lot of complaints um i will say any anything that i do have that kind of stick in my craw are really not specific to zero mission. Well, there is one thing, but by and large, it's just Metroid in general, just the, the game Metroid, not the series, the, the original. And, and that, I sent a message in discord earlier when I was wrapping up my playthrough of this and basically just said to Chris, like this fight with mother brain fucking sucks. 
Yeah, that's correct. And he, and he was just like, yeah, it always has. And I'm like, yeah, yeah that's true. That, that's, <laughs> yeah, it was one of those things where like I had no problem with Craid, which I often remembered having a ton of trouble with, just yeah. platforming and stuff. And then, you know, uh, Ridley was a pushover in this game, which was shocking to me. And so were the mini bosses for the most part. I was like, oh, this isn't as hard as I remember. Of course, the famously, the normal mode in this game is the technically easy mode and like the hard mode is what the game is akin to the gameplay in the first game supposedly but like mm -hmm. then i got to mother brain and like died three times because i kept getting knocked back infinitely into the pit right in front mm -hmm. of the last part of mother brain and i was just like i almost threw my very expensive device before <laughs> i was like no that would be a mistake but i was getting so angry <laughs> but that's what happens with good metroid games on on some level is like I hit my head against the wall uh, against boss fights and then eventually the matrix like I see the matrix code it kicks in and I do it I never it never looks pretty like I'm like I have like one thing of health left and I'm almost dead and like I've stumbled through but I usually get it but I agree that mother brain felt more annoying than ever in this game in a way that I just must have forgotten via trauma dumping uh, mm -hmm. somehow mm -hmm. yeah yeah so I mean really that was just kind of the big thing that stuck out to me and i'll be honest since since we're in the the gameplay section here i i have to say i don't i don't know if this is like a a, a spicy take a, a little habanero but um i really dislike the back like quarter of this game i'm, I'm just gonna be honest i i this left my brain apparently from when I played it the first time because I, I did play it through to completion when I had my physical copy back in the day and I apparently just blanked this part out. But when I got to that point where you got Chris, where you just like, all right, I did it. And then you're like, oh no, I didn't. And I, I did not like any of that section at all like the i were trying to be sam fisher a la splinter cell just it felt weird it felt weird like i on some level i appreciate what they were trying to do right like i i i, I will give them credit that they were adding like basically net new content to metroid in a way that felt organic like it didn't feel weird or out of place necessarily and if you hadn't played the original, you'd obviously have no idea. So this just felt like a natural progression of the game. But I, I having the the foreknowledge, right, of like the original and then being like, oh, we're adding something new here for something new to be added like this. I was just like, ah, this this kind of isn't it. Like, I don't, I don't know, like the the whole section of like having to just run away from space pirates just didn't do it for me. I don't know. I just, I, part of it is like, I just really don't like that style of gameplay. It's, it's actually part of the reason I never finished alien isolation, even though it's by and large, a fantastic horror game is because the entire conceit of that game is built on this cat and mouse thing of like, Oh, you gotta avoid the scary thing. And then when it sees you, you gotta run and find a place to hide. And I just, I hate that gameplay loop. And that's, kind of what this section of the game was and so i don't know didn't really do it for me although having said that when you do finally get that gravity suit and like the metroid like theme like kicks in and it's all like triumphant and shit like that the the last part of the game that that's a good time i like that but the yeah, stealth thing could take i could take it or leave it 
So what we were alluding to, because I don't think we frankly said it, is after you be Mother Brain, uh, before you're trying to escape and you get uh, separated from your suit and kidnapped by space pirates, and you have to re- go sneak into the Chozo ruins to reform your suit. Mm-hmm. And I... So I am famously someone who hates stealth games. Besides the Batman Arkham series, which is some of the best stealth gameplay I've ever experienced, because you're also... Because mm. I'm Batman. But, you know... <laughs> But beyond that, like, I hate stealth games. I do not. I'm a Kojima hater. I don't like the Metal Gear games. I haven't played them in a long time, admittedly. But, like, I just, I'm bad at, I don't like stealth games because I'm bad at stealth. Like, my actual person, I am a klutz (laughs) and I am not stealthy. And so I do not like doing it in games. But I will say, I actually love this section. The reason I love it is because it's not that hard. It's really, like... You have all of your health. If you've gotten all your health upgrades, you still have them, though you take more damage. You can hide from them pretty easily. They These space pirates are very dumb. I mean, they've always <laughs> been pretty dumb. And so for me, like, I got through it. I died, like, once or twice. And it didn't send me that far back because this there's, like, a ton of save points in this game. Very generous, I would say. And so for me, the it was a minor annoyance only because, I, like, it isn't that fun, but also it's not that hard. So I got through it. And as far as stealth experiences go you're not that punished for it because you have a margin a lot of margin of error with the health and the save points and for all of us playing it on modern hardware of some type save states as well i can see why you would get a stick in your craw about it because it it is so divergent from what any other metroid game has ever done but i think it's an interesting attempt i don't know that i'd ever want to do it again but because it's so short-lived and then you get that badass moment with the gravity suit and then wreck house smattering the guts of all of these space pirates across the walls of the entire ship. Uh, I think it's worth it. But yeah, I didn't, I don't, I don't know that I have as much hate for it as you do. I mean, I don't know if I would categorize it as hate necessarily. It's just, (laughs) eh, fair. it's just, uh, okay, here's the thing. I guess this is what it is, is especially knowing, like if I, if I didn't know, right, like if I had no knowledge of the original Metroid whatsoever, I, I don't think this would actually bother me at all, really. Fair. I would just be like, yeah. okay, yeah, cool. This is, this is part of the game. Neat. Like it's not my cup of tea, but all right, fine. Especially for all the points you just made. Like it's not sure. difficult and that's not really like my issue with it. I think, I think what it really comes down to is that to me, it, it, it kind of felt like padding. I guess maybe that's, that's what fair. it is. Yeah, I can see that. That totally makes sense. Shane. Yes. I'm going to have to say this. What? I started off when I got to the section agreeing with you. But today I agree with with Matt. Woo! I I, I agree. I agree with Matt fully (laughs) on this one. Mm. I think that the section is brilliant because the the entire time up until this section, you're getting a very enhanced version of the original Metroid. One of the one of the features of the original Metroid is it was supposed to make you feel alone and isolated, a little like a survival horror game. You didn't know where you were going. You had to figure things out on your own. That that's it. It was inspired directly inspired by Alien. Mm-hmm. That's that's where it came from. That's where the feeling came from. Right. Oh yeah, this franchise is a horror franchise. Absolutely. Except exactly. for this game, it's hundred percent a horror franchise. <laughs> so when you're getting the, the the entire early part of this game. It's it's telling you where to go, and this these are things I liked. I just said I liked them, and it's it's telling you where to go. You it, it's very very friendly to the player, and it's like oh man, this is such a nice casual experience. I love it, 
And you get to the end and Mother Brain is a pain in the ass because it's Mother Brain. And then you're like, oh, man, I did it. Like, uh, you know what? That wasn't so bad. You know, that was really, really. Wait, what's this other part? And then you're like, what the hell? I beat Mother Brain. This is not. I, what does it want me to do? I, I have this pea shooter. Now it's, I have to run away from these things. They're doing massive damage to me. This is not cool. This is not cool. I don't like this. And then I, I had to stop and think to myself, I'm playing a Metroid game. The game is making me feel vulnerable. It's making me afraid of the, these enemies. And I don't want to engage with them. I don't want to fight them. I don't want to go up to them. It's like, oh, this is really cool. Maybe it's like the, the mobile brain kicked in because there's a lot of like mobile elements in here. Of course, obviously before mobile, where you just got to keep moving and keep running and keep jumping from platform to platform to platform to platform, getting into a rhythm and figuring out the best way to get through it and try not to be detected. But if you do get detected, there is a way to get around it. And that's, that's, it's always there. And that's why I loved about it is because there's, you can play this a lot like you can play Metal Gear. You could play this haphazardly and still come out at the end and be like, oh, that was cool. I feel like a badass. Or you could play this stealthily and come out the end and feel like, oh, this is cool. I feel like a badass. And that entire feeling of vulnerability. And this is supposed to be really a celebration of what the original Metroid was and retelling Samus's story and what made Samus that badass. So when you have to put all that that suit back together, because this is like her origin story, what makes her this this super strong space mercenary kicking space pirate ass. And you like, you have to understand at the same time, this is, this is someone that maybe feels too over-reliant on her suit, but does get her suit. And it's like, you know what? I'm still a badass, and I still have a suit, and now I'm going to wreck some shit. And she does that. And I, I, that's what, like, when you said at the end, like, oh, it made me feel like a badass. That's the entire buildup of that section, where now all of a sudden you feel like, you finally feel threatened, but now you feel like you can you can conquer it. And that's that's when it came around to me. It's like this section is is great. I'm happy it's in here. I'm happy they included it. It feel it might feel a little foreign, it might feel a little alien to to a lot of people who wanted a straight one-to-one remake, but it's it's additions made it stronger. Much like the Final Fantasy VII remake. There's my hot take. But uh <laughs> yeah, uh I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I don't like stealth either. So there you go. <laughs> well, there you go. You lose, Shane. This is that's this is for Aladdin. Oh, <laughs> get him. <laughs> you know what? I'll I'll take that. I'll I'll take the Aladdin win. <laughs> I, I'm still not admitting it won. I'm just saying, take that. Ah, okay. Uh, <laughs> but I guess uh this is where we're kind of in the downslope, not because the quality is going down, just because these subjects are going to be a little bit shorter. We're going to get into the presentation here. And we're going to be talking about the graphical presentation. Shane, how did you think that this game's visuals looked? Oh, man, I, I love how this game looks. Uh, I mean, like, I so full disclosure, I, I played this on my Steam Deck. And the, the nice thing about GBA games is that they are widescreen. So they run pretty well, like, natively on a widescreen monitor of sorts so booting this up on the steam deck i got a nice full screen gba experience and and even though uh, of course you know the the pixels are blown up on a screen of this resolution it still looks really good i guess there's i don't i don't know 
too much more to say, really. Um, it's kind of what you would come to expect, especially from, you know, coming around that era of like fusion and, and things like that. But the the pixel work is fantastic. And like I said, it's one of those deals where your brain is just like, ah, yes, this is definitely what Samus looks like. And, you know, then you do a comparison to the weird anemic bobblehead that's in the first one. And you're just like, oh, right. Okay. Yeah, no, that looks totally different. But no, and the other thing that oddly stood out to me, which is, I feel like partially an artistic choice, probably, but also I'm gonna say maybe a performance related choice, but probably to a lesser extent, but I actually really liked a lot of the background textures that they used because they feel very, um, almost like pulp comic book art style, which was really cool. It's, it, it, it's different enough from, you know, sort of the foreground presentation that there's, there's a nice contrast, but they don't really clash with each other. Like they still fit together really well, but I, I really liked the the artistic decision to do that. So yeah, I don't know. By and large, I, I, I really can't find a fault with, with any of it. I thought graphically it was presented really well. And of course, you know, we, we kept saying cutscenes earlier. We kind of use that somewhat loosely. But then again, you have to remember what we're talking about, right? We're talking about a, a GBA game. So you're not getting like necessarily these like fantastic full motion cutscenes or whatever. Come on, Shane. It could do SpongeBob. <laughs> yeah i guess that is true um no excuses yeah well okay then i don't know it's terrible zero out of ten wouldn't play it again mm. yep there you have it that's the <laughs> that's the spongebob factor that's what we're calling it from now on <laughs> matt how about yourself what do you think of the game's visuals i mean i i agree so the fun thing about owning a game boy advanced and then a game boy sp is that both of them never really show you the games as they are meant to look the until you had the backlight on the very last SP, the front light mm -hmm. and then the no light, like the, everything just looks flatter, washed out. Playing this on the uh, analog pocket with one of the best and most brightest screens I've ever seen, like it's just the most gorgeous this game has ever looked. And like to what Shane was alluding to, these like essentially comic book panels that we get for the narrative are just so sharp and crisp, they just look incredible. It's beautiful. It, I don't mind the later 2D games using the 3D models. I think that Samus Returns and Metroid Dread both look gorgeous, especially Dread on the OLED Switch. I think it's one of the most gorgeous-looking Metroid games ever made. But there's something about the pixel art that will always be... Like, we'll, I'll just enjoy more. It's the same thing with, like, modern RPGs. Like, I'll always love a game like Octopath Traveler more than, like, modern 3D RPGs. I liked Final Fantasy 16 a lot. I love the realism. I thought the graphics were gorgeous. But there's something about that 2D HD pixel art. I just love the style of pixel art. It feels more artistic to me for no good reason other than that's what it makes the brain juices go up. But <laughs> this game effectively does that so well. And, like... The only downside I have, and this plays into the next section about music and sound also, spoiler alert, the only failing of this game is it doesn't feel like a horror game because it's so much brighter, because it looks so much better, and 
because they give you some guidance, you just don't get that isolation feel. And like I said earlier, and I completely agree, every other game in this franchise feels like a horror game because especially Fusion, which came out before this, because there are some truly horrific, unexplainable bosses in that game that just the music, the look, all make them terrifying. And that doesn't really happen here. I remember the fight with Kraid being so terrifying in the original game. Here, it's just like you can see what you're doing. You know what you're doing. And I feel like it just takes some of that ambiance, as it were, away. And part of that is the really great graphics. But honestly, don't care. I'll take it. Like, I, I love how clear Samus looks. Like, when you die and you see the famous, like, suit explode and you see her for a second, you can see her hair, the way her hair moves. Like, all of it just feels so fluid and so well designed. Or even when you're running around in the stealth section as just Zero Suit Samus, like, that looks like Samus. She looks awesome. It's just so well designed and expressive, even for a pixel where you cannot see facial expressions. You get a sense every time she gets hit or every time you, you know, die or damaged or whatever, like you can feel all of that. And I think it's just how precisely this game is designed. I think creatively fusion looks better as far as art design, like direction. But I think this game graphically looks better because it's, of course, more simplistic, and therefore it can really pop in a way that a lot of the other pixel games don't. Uh, so you said earlier that uh, a science, in the term in science, that they would call you a sicko. Uh-huh. Uh, that's how you'd be termed for the, your fandom of, of Metroid. Uh, the layman, and the layman term for how I feel about pixel art is slut. I <laughs> love pixel art. I I, I don't I, I do not give. Uh, I don't love all pixel art. I'm playing a game right now. You might hear me talk about it on our next main episode. Hmm. That, like, sometimes pixel art doesn't really, like, set me ablaze so much. But this game does. I can look at a GBA game and be like, yeah, they could. This just looks like a Super Nintendo game. Here it's like they couldn't do this on the Super Nintendo. There's too much going on. It looks too good. I, I will agree with your point, Matt, that. Even though, because Fusion was also bright. Fusion also had a lot of bright colors. And this is something that the GBA had to do because its initial launch run didn't have a backlight. So I can understand why even here it's not doing that because it still had to, Nintendo still had to respect its early adopters, much like it did with Fusion. But it, it didn't have the same feel that Fusion did. It didn't do the same creative things. Now I understand limitations, remakes, all that stuff like that. You, you have a source material you have to to sometime, somewhat stay within the confines of. And I think that's why I even respect that stealth section at the end of the game even more. But this is probably the best looking Metroid game I've ever played. Official one anyway. I, I've seen uh, another Metroid 2 remake and that I think that uses pixel art too. It does. Seen, if that's okay, if that's what I've seen, that that game is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're also talking about something that was meant to run on far superior hardware. So, like in respect to all the limitations that this game had, what it's done, this is a this is a just brilliant looking game. And this this takes what I said in the gameplay. It takes everything that you could conceive within the original Metroid, and it just rebuilds it in every conceivable wish that you could have it be rebuilt in visually. It's it's just, it's a feast for the eyes. And I, I don't want to keep droning on because I would just be repeating what 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 everyone else here has said, but it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful game. So I, I'm going to leave it at that. 
with that being said, we will get into what Matt was talking about with the audio. And you you had an interesting take. You were kind of melding it into the visuals here about how it, it didn't really make you feel like it was too much of a horror game. What's your overall feeling here about the audio? So, like, the thing about Metroid as a franchise, I think that's more important than a lot of other games, is that its sound design absolutely pushes forward the horror. I think about the opening crawl of Super Metroid, where you see the dead scientists and the lone Metroid baby, and that eerie music that's playing on the start screen. Like, Metroid is all about vibes. Toe to tip, every game, it's vibes forward. And a lot of that comes from the music and sound design. And I just think, A, because we're all so familiar with the songs from this game at this point, and they're incredible songs, some of the best compositions in gaming. That familiarity, along with the sound design just not feeling as hollow as some of the other games and how, like, uh, spacious, maybe, it just, I never felt, besides the stealth mission, never felt that threatened or scared in a way that like Fusion, Dread, and Samus Returns have, and even the original game, have all made me feel. I don't think it's the game's fault, though, because I think they were they were clearly remaking this in a way to make it more accessible. And I am the first person on the train for make games more accessible, shorter, worse graphics, easier to beat. Like, love all that. Like, I want games to be accessible for people. But I do think we lose a little bit of the horror in the accessibility because some of the fear comes from not knowing. But that said, that critique aside, it is still one of the best sounding Metroid games ever made. All of the remixes or like remasterings of all of these iconic themes sound all the best they've ever sounded. And I mean, they do, of course, reprise a lot of these in the later games too. You know, Brinstar theme and so many others, the main Metroid theme all come back many times. But this is some, of, I think, some of the best compositions because also I think the Game Boy Advance had some of the best looking and sounding games in the history of video games. It just... Mm-hmm. It just is like I will go to my grave saying that Minish Cap is the best Zelda game ever made and one of the most gorgeous looking pixel art games ever made. Um, and so this is no exception, especially also playing this on the uh, analog pocket again with the incredible speaker system that it has. Like it's the best I've ever heard the soundtrack as well. I loved it. Agree with a, a, a lot of what you said. I'm not the biggest fan of of the metroid soundtracks it's just just not my thing but i understand that it has a different purpose than being catchy or being enjoyable whatever the case might be even though it has does have those tunes in there from time to time one thing that i think this game missed that the original had uh the one failing in terms of a remake is is somewhat in its audio because that contrast of having that that main theme when you get to Brin Star, you know that dun, 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 dun. and then when everything goes quiet and those that chip tune just goes bum 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 bum, and you're like, oh, something bad's about to happen. Yep. <laughs> uh, here it just seemed like they used that they overused it. Mm-hmm. It was overused a little bit because it was like, hey, Metroid, you know this. This is like an ability here. Yeah. But in the original, it's like, I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm, a, I, I, I'm in trouble. Like, uh, that, I'm, that in I'm in danger. <laughs> I'm in danger. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> uh, Ralph. And uh, like that, that contrast in, in audio in the original Nintendo version, I think, was, was so much more important. Yeah. And I think they missed that here. They definitely did. Not to say the sound quality is, is bad. Metroid uh, Zero Mission definitely takes advantage of the admittably limited capabilities of the GBA sound chip. 
many people know that the GBA does not have as good sound quality as even the Super Nintendo, for example. It just can't put out the same quality. But I didn't notice that at all, like at all throughout my entire playthrough of Zero Mission. So like the sound quality itself is really good. And I am not a, a Metroid soundtrack lover. So I will say like the, the entire sound quality forward to back is is really, really good. It's it's up there. You won't notice any dips. I didn't. And if you do, hey, look, maybe you're an audiophile. I'm not I'm not an audiophile. You can be an audiophile. That's fine. But I'm not that kind of guy. I just thought it was really, really good. And I didn't notice any of the shortfalls that the GBA is just notorious for having. How about yourself, Shane? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, again, I, I'm not sure if I can add too much to what you both said. I think you covered it pretty, pretty well. I will say I, I really so <laughs> how do I put this? The the fan servicey kind of like hey the the, you, the me- member berries you you remember these like <laughs> the, you, you know what yeah I do I do and I appreciated that they were there like I I thought that the 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 fresh takes on those themes from the original were done really really well um, and I I I appreciated that their inclusion. But actually, Chris, you make an excellent point, and it was something that I, I guess I couldn't put my finger on, but you, you kind of put it out there really well. And, and that is the kind of lack of atmosphere that this game yeah. has. It, it sounds a little, I don't know, pretentious to say, I guess, but one of the things I've always thought about the original Metroid soundtrack was just how kind of like almost like avant-garde it was like the, it's so unlike most other video game music. And and that's part of what makes it stand out so much. And that I I say this a lot in, in our audio sections of our episodes when, when it's relevant, but I, I am always, I am always a fan of effective use of silence because yes. there's a lot of times where games much like blockbuster movies and things like that will just take the like wall of sound approach and just say like this everything's happening all at once and you you sort of just get numb at some point right so knowing how to leverage silence as part of your your score is is a really underrated skill and so i think when it does it right um something like metroid and having that that track where it's just those like dude 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 like that whole thing i remember that like that's gonna be burned in my brain until i die because that was part of my childhood experience of like sitting down with an nes and attempting to you know not suck at metroid and failing and hearing that music and and yeah it does instill this like what am what am this is what am i expecting or what what should i expect like i don't know like this there's something ethereal and like otherworldly about this and of course that's amplified by child brain right so you you always conflate these things where you're just like oh this is crazy but it is very effective and the fact that they kind of took that and sort of used it as just like this like hey this is this is a save room do 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 like you're like eh, okay it loses the impact so all of that to say that the overall score and sound design i don't, I don't want to take away from them because they are expertly done 
and I did enjoy them for what they're worth. But this, I, I think the best comparison I can make is kind of like, uh, let's, let's go with comparing, let's say Resident Evil 1 to like, I don't know, 5. And I know that's going to piss off at least a couple of people in our community. <laughs> that's a big comparison. But, well, it is, but it's illustrating my point, which is okay. that you have one side of things that is very, or, or you know what, you could even say like Dead Space versus like Dead Space 3. It's the same sort of comparison where you're, you're okay. taking a more horror-oriented experience and then you're kind of completely changing that to just being a much more straightforward like action game. And to some extent, I kind of feel like that's what Zero Mission did with Metroid. For better or worse, because I, I think Matt, you I think you mentioned it that there's a certain level of enhanced accessibility in that. And I think that's a good thing. And as an action platformer, as we've already said, the game plays exceptionally well. But but in that transition, you do kind of lose a lot of that more atmospheric horror that that was a part of the experience originally. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you brought up the silence because my favorite moments in Metroid is when the music drops out. I was on an incredibly long episode of Tales from the Backlog about three different versions of Metroid 2. And something mm -hmm. that the Game Boy game did better than any of the other versions is use silence. Often you mm -hmm. can just hear Metroid's footsteps. And while I didn't really love the Game Boy game best compared to the three, that, that, that thing made it one of the more impressive games because, again, using minimal music or no music at all really is what is one of the tricks up the sleeve of the metroid games you know yeah and it was just not here and that's fine but i agree i think it it makes it a little less old school metroid it doesn't make it a bad game it just it takes one of the things about metroid away but like resident evil resident evil 4 is my favorite game in the franchise and that one's a balls to the wall action game <laughs> I think it's one of the best in the series. So like, right. you know, and still has scary moments, but like, yeah. So like, I think it doesn't necessarily make it a bad game, but it does change the vibe of the game. I agree completely. So that wraps up our audio, which leads us into our patron pontifications. What are the patron pontifications, you may ask? Well, if this is your first time listening to us and making it this far, then the patron pontifications are where our patrons give their thoughts about our game du jour, and you can find that in our Discord. So check out our patron for as little as $1 a month over at patreon.com slash retro hangover, and join our Discord, and you will see a section called patron pontifications, where you can give your thoughts on the upcoming episode. Our first patron pontification will be from Storm Beagle, and Storm Beagle is from the Retrotopia podcast. Go check that out. And Storm Beagle says, I have not played Zero Mission, but played Super Metroid and Metroid Fusion for the first time in 2023. Zero Mission is a game I'd really love to try, and I think I would probably play this GBA update over the original. I can say now that I am a Metroid fan. Thank you, Storm Beagle. I hope you enjoy Metroid Zero Mission. All right. Next up is I'm 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 glad that I, I get this one. I'm always I'm always hoping that I get Adams in in the rotation. Adam from the Good, the Bad, and the Backlog, and friend of the show, says Metroid Zero Mission gave me hemorrhoids because it fucked me so hard. Thank you, Adam. I think he meant it. 
think he meant it fucked so hard, but I'm not going to put words in his mouth. No, so. no, I, you know, I read it as is. <laughs> I yes, you did. Yes, you did. <laughs> Matt, you got this next one. I think it's appropriate, uh, seeing as you have also been on his show. I, so he, uh, go ahead. Yes, I was hoping I'd get this one so I could read the submission of some asshole named Dave Jackson whoever the guy, that guy is, <laughs> has some show called Tales from the Backlog. If you like really absurdly long podcasts, it's right for you. If he's going to keep calling out that I have too many podcasts, I'm going to call out that his podcast like recording sessions are like four hours long, but it's okay. I still love him. <laughs> love you, Dave. Uh, Dave Jackson from Tales from the Backlog writes, Zero Mission is, fantastic, is a fantastic remake, and in my opinion, the best Metroid game. It has all the joy of exploration and backtracking for treats like Super Metroid is famous for, but with the better movement and combat that the GBA Metroids boast, and without the frustrating random floor and wall bombings to find critical path. The stealth section sucks, but it's not nearly long enough to tank the entire experience. Overall, a great game that I recommend to newcomers and Metroid fans alike. You know what, I, I, I don't think we talked about this, but I agree with him. This game does not encourage a lot of random wall bombing. I, I didn't really run into that like at all. I think it did it really well. So 100% agree with uh, Dave Jackson there. Go check out Tales from the Backlog. Yes, please. It is absurdly long. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, next is uh, Ozzy, who you can hear over on the King of Games 96 as one of our participants and a host from 92. Big friend of the show. He's also our Retro Hangover Review Crew czar. He he runs it. That's This is his baby. So thank you, Ozzy. And Ozzy says... Metroid Zero Mission could be the best representation of a remake done well. Interesting. It takes away the frustration of the original, updates the compositions, and makes them shine through and implements years of game design improvements. All of this done with some of the most beautiful graphics rendered on the GBA. It would be the perfect remake if it didn't decide to keep going. Whew. Everything that occurs past the logical endpoint of the original Metroid feels superfluous at best and frustrating at worst. It's enough for me to knock it down from the best Metroid game, but it doesn't affect it enough so that the game is not a must-play. Thank you, Ozzy. Not a lot of love for the stealth section. I feel like I'm in good company. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it feels like it, yeah. All right, next up is FF Cottage, who says... As a Metroid fan, I must admit that Zero Mission is an incredible game. Though not my favorite in the franchise, like some, it is nevertheless a top-notch remake of the original game, as well as an excellent entry point for newcomers keen to start from the beginning. I also recommend Samus Returns as another excellent Metroid remake, despite what some may say. Goddess bless Samus and her arm cannon. Up next, we've got Nomad from the Retro Wildlands podcast. Metroid Zero Mission was the first ever Metroid game I played start to finish, and as someone who doesn't do Metroidvania games often, this one was a great experience. I loved the feeling of isolation I felt when the game started. I was alone, surrounded by threats, but I loved gaining more power and abilities, and by the time the game ended, everyone was my bitch. <laughs> uh, Fact. It's true. It was an incredible journey start to finish, and I loved seeing Samus in a Zero suit like the simp I am. I mean, so say we all. I mean, I'm wearing a, a shirt of yep. exactly that, so I get it. All right, Soha. Soha says, a remake done right. Anyone that has played the NES-Troid, interesting portmanteau there, can tell that it aged like milk stored in a greenhouse. That's brutal. 
Zero Missions gets that game. I, I agree with that take, by the way. Sorry. I'm interrupting your take, so I'm going to get back to this. Zero Mission gets that game and makes it playable. The added power-ups, such as Speed Booster, make the game enjoyable, especially with all the Shine Spark puzzles in this one. The extra portion after you take Mother Brain down is not that great, but hey, it's something new. Zero Mission is a great way to get introduced to the series, and finally, Metroid can crawl. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, moving right along to Diskimera from Game Over Hell on YouTube. He says, I first played this uh, through unofficial emulation, and it was the one that made me get into 2D Metroid. Since then, I bought and or played it with every official re-release. When it comes to the Metroid series, the first Prime on Wii is my favorite of the entire series. If we're talking about 2D Metroid, then it's Zero Mission. Something about the eerie atmosphere of the NES original isn't replicated in this remake. I think we agreed on that one. Aside from that, it's a perfect reimagining that surpasses it in every way. Its controls feel great and are second only to Dread. I also love Zero Suit and love Samus's slim design. I don't get the hate the design gets from older fans. Did, is there hate for that? I didn't, I didn't know that. I'm not aware of that. I'd miss that, but I wouldn't be surprised that gamers are being dumb. Ah, yeah, that's yeah. true. Makes sense. Next, we have Alt. And Alt says, Metroid Zero Mission is the first Metroid game I enjoyed and still enjoy to this day. This one simply clicked with me. It's a pure, no-bullshit gameplay pleasure. You feel isolated and yet powerful for the majority of the game. When I think of tight level design and exploration for a 2D action game, this one is the one for me. Metroid Zero Mission changed my outlook on Metroid overall. It quite literally saved and opened the series up to me. I only wish I had played it sooner in life. Thank you, Alt. And finally... Lunchbox, a.k.a. The Disgruntled Gamer, says, I've been a fan of the Metroid series since the beginning, and Zero Mission was a remake of one of my favorite games. So, of course, I had to play it just to see if the original is flawed. Zero Mission proved that it was a fun experience, but one thing was missing. The challenge that the original had was all gone and was essentially made easier so people can enjoy themselves without frustration. I get it. But I just understand if my younger self could finish the original Metroid, then anyone can. Zero Mission is a very good remake, and it deserves to be propped up on a pedestal. Also, stop with the Metroid Prime story and give us more entries in the main timeline. There's an entire galaxy to explore. What happens after Dread? Interesting take. I, I know Lunchbox is more of that. He truly is a old, old, old school gamer. Mm -hmm. he, he loves his He loves his games like nails tough. I get it. I get it. So that will conclude our patron pacifications. Thank you all of our patrons uh, that participated this week. Really do enjoy it. Great takes. Love to see what you all think about this and look forward to next week and what you all will contribute well, in two weeks. But that brings us to whether or not this game holds up today. Myself and Shane will go first. And as is customary, our guest will have the final word. You want me to take this one first this week, Shane, or, or do you want to? How, how are we going to do this one? You know what? You, you can go ahead. Go, go ahead and run with it. Outstanding. All right. So I will start with this. Yeah, yeah. This game fucking holds up. Uh, I don't. I, I know I did a terrible job of hiding it earlier. Like, there was a Metroid game that I always look back at. And it's like, man, I love that. I love that game to death. I would, 
I would play that game like over and over and over again if I had the opportunity. Like that something resonates in in my brain. Like there's something there's something about Metroid you like. And every single time I go back to a Metroid game, it's like this isn't it. This isn't it. This isn't it. Like this isn't hitting. And then I went back and played Zero Mission for this episode. And it's like this hits. This hits hard. This hits in all the places I want it to. This makes me happy. This sparks joy. It has the spike sh- shine spark of joy. That's what it has. The shine spark of joy. It's all over. This game is fantastic. This is the example of how you do a remake correctly. This is just everything about it is essentially perfect. And what you want from a Metroidvania. This is, the, this is the template. It doesn't make things too hard. It doesn't make things too easy. If you want a challenge, there is the additional challenge on there. And if you want to play the original Metroid and get your ass kicked and not know where you're going, there's always that for you. I'm not going to take that away from you. But this is the game that I want to play. This is the Metroid I love. The controls are perfect. The graphics are spectacular. The sound design is on point. Not my kind of music, but that's fine because everything else about it is just stellar. This is an A-plus game, start to finish. You will love it. I understand, okay, you might not love the stealth. I did. I, if you don't love it, I'll get, once again, you can love whatever you want. In this case, you're wrong. But I will enjoy the stealth part because it makes me feel like a big badass when I'm running around just slaying space pirates with no problem with that busting ass music playing in the background while I'm running and it's going through another self-destruct sequence. Play Metroid Zero Mission. If you've never played a Metroid, this is a fantastic place to start. I think it is the place to start. Get on it as soon as you can, any way you can, because if Nintendo doesn't want your money for the Wii U virtual console, then what they're telling you is they want you to find a way to play it otherwise. That's the only thing I'll say there. So go enjoy it, people. Shane? Uh, Does it hold up? Uh, Yes. Yes, it does. You should play it. In fact, you could basically, and there's at least one person that's going to hate this, but you can basically forget that the original Metroid exists. (laughs) I mean, listen, it definitely had some things going for it atmospherically, like we were just talking about a few moments ago, and I will not take that away from that experience, but if you went back and listened to our original Metroid episode, you would know our, our feelings on that. It it has not aged very well, and so if you're, if you're looking for an entry point into the series... I can't think of a better place to start than here. Like this is going to give you essentially what you would for the most part want out of the OG Metroid, but presented in such a better fashion um, just on basically every level. Again, with the, the, the atmosphere kind of being lost, notwithstanding you are getting a fantastic action platformer and I am okay with uh, being wrong about the fact that the, the the stealth section after defeating Mother Brain kind of feels like uh, the, the end of Half-Life in that like you just play a really great game and then you get stuck having to do some bullshit. But, you know, that's, it's fine. I mean, other than that, you know, you, you, you're getting a really great game. And, and to boot, I mean, I guess this could be a downside for some people, but... This game can easily be finished in like I'm um, somewhere in the neighborhood of like three to five hours tops usually. Uh, so it's not a big ask. 
and you're you're getting a great experience like almost front to back so no highly recommend um i really enjoyed playing it it's it's a treat to play in control and visually it's it's also just fantastic especially on you know newer hardware if that's the way you're gonna if that's the way you're gonna go yeah i yes it holds up 110 percent. it's easily the best starting point for a metroid game and i will say it there's no reason to play the original over this other than the experience. <laughs> it's like you guys said in the Shantae episode, Shantae 1 is worth playing if you want to experience the first Shantae game, where that series started. If you want to play a good Shantae game, play literally any other game. True. The, the same here. Like Metroid, the original Metroid is worth experiencing. It is not worth playing through the entire game to me because it is just so, it just hasn't aged well. This is... I think the Metroidvania that all other Metroidvanias should be based on. Again, I said Fusion's my favorite. My favorite doesn't make it the best. We all have favorites that aren't the best in a franchise. But this is one of the pinnacle games. I think Dread, control-wise, is the pinnacle. But this is pretty damn close. And besides the minor nitpicks we've all discussed, I think this is the essential way to not only get into the franchise, but to play the first Metroid. And like, I think that with the really great runs of remakes and even fan remakes, you have an essential path that is more forgiving than the original games. Playing Metroid Zero Mission, then another Metroid 2 remake, then the Samus Returns remake, then you can jump into Fusion. Going back to Fusion after Samus Returns might be a little wonky, but Samus Returns gets you prepared for Dread, which is the same developer and has a lot of the same mechanics and graphical style and stuff. I think you've got a completely great through line for, through the five main Metroid timeline games and all the 2D games. And I think there aren't as many games that are quote-unquote accessible in that way. Yes, you probably have to emulate to do that, but I think it's totally worth it for these games because they are some of the... I mean, it's one of the most important franchises in video games, and I think it is more accessible for people to experience with these remakes and redesigns that have come out over the years. And this game kind of really started that all. It Because, like you said in the intro, Nintendo didn't do a lot of remakes back then. They do plenty of them now. Super Mario RPG, Link's Awakening, we've gotten a ton over the last... Uh, five to ten years but back in uh, 2004 it wasn't commonplace and so for this to be not only so impressive but such a fan letter to the original is kind of shocking and astonishing and i'm so grateful for its existence and i absolutely think that if you've ever wanted to dabble in metroidvanias and you weren't sure if you'd like them this is absolutely one of the best starting points for not only the franchise but i'd say the entire genre as a whole well said well said so that that wraps up our episode here today. Thanks you so much, Matt, for stopping by. Really appreciate you stopping by the show. And hey, I I think I had a great time talking with you. I'm sure Shane did as well. Shane, you did right. <laughs> why why are you gonna make that awkward? That's real awkward. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, of course. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> I also had a great time. Uh, I said it off air. I'll say it on air. This is one of my favorite podcasts right now that I listen to. I look forward to every episode. And uh, it was an honor to guest on it, not only to guest on it at all, but to guest on it to talk about one of my favorite games and one of my favorite franchises is a deep honor. I appreciate what you both do. You're funny.
funny and ridiculous in the best ways. And those are honestly some <laughs> of my favorite kinds of humans. So uh, you make me laugh as much as you make me think. And thanks for having me. I hope to come back someday and talk about another game. Maybe something we all hate so we can just rip on it. Sweet. Oh, hate, hate. That other M hate episode is coming great. at some point. Yeah, sure. there it is. <laughs> <laughs> I own a copy, Shane. I can let you borrow it. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I I don't I don't want to take it away from you. That's really what it is, you know. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yes, yeah. absolutely. This totally. game that we earlier said doesn't actually exist, but somehow through the rift of time, yeah. you have a copy anyway. That's right. If you have a Nintendo, if you have an <laughs> NES controller, Shane, I think you can play it. So yeah, <laughs> you'll be all right. <laughs> Oh, well, at any rate, uh, as we like to do before, before I jump into our little spiel, which I think I've, I've been attempting and partially failing at trying to make a little bit more succinct. But before we do that, uh, we of course want to give our most esteemed guests a chance to, to get those saucy plugs in there. So, uh, Matt, we talked about it uh, toward the beginning of the show, but just to kind of to recap and give some folks some some direction, where can they find you out on the the world wide web? So uh, I can be found in most places as DJ underscore Stormageddon on Instagram and Twitter. Blue Sky, I'm DJ Stormageddon because they hate underscores for some reason. I don't get it. Uh, if you want to check out all the stuff I make, I made it really easy. You just go to djstormageddon.com. It has my merch store. It has all of the podcasts that I work on. It has uh, the Patreon for fun and games. It has a bunch of cool stuff. Um, really quickly, uh, the internet is a desert wasteland, and I hate it. And so mm -hmm. if you want to keep up with all the stuff that I do... Uh, we have a free tier over on the uh, Fun and Games Patreon. You'll get access to all of our show, main show episodes and side quest episodes, as well as any articles we write. All of that is free. And then we have bonus episodes and stuff and shout outs for those who want to pay into it. But honestly, if you want to keep up with me and all that I'm doing, especially video game related, joining at the free tier is the best place because we put a lot there because I don't really trust uh, Elon Musk as far as I can throw him. And I probably couldn't throw him very far. So, uh, and then, yeah, a quick pitch for fun and games. The main show is a discussion-based podcast. We bring on incredible guests. We talk to game developers. We've interviewed the incredible Grant Kirkhope, who's one of the best composers ever. Uh, we've talked with Yuri Lowenthal, the voice of Spider-Man. We've also, you know, talked to a bunch of indie devs. It's a really fun discussion-based show. We bring on guests within and around the industry, other podcasters. It's really worth your time if you're a big fan of the broader conversation about video games. And then we have small bite-sized episodes three other days across the two weeks that uh, we don't air the main show called Side Quests. The basic pitch for that is it's talking about a game you love and why you love it for 5 to 15 minutes. There is no requirement. We have podcasters, uh, fans of our podcast. We have people who've never podcasted at all ever do stuff. We've had game developers. We've had composers over there, comedians, rappers, all sorts of really cool folks do episodes of that. And it is literally just gushing about a game you love unjudged for 15 minutes because I don't know if you guys realize the internet is a cesspool and we can't enjoy nice things. So uh -huh. I created a space for that because it's just been really fun to do. Um, and so if any of that sounds like fun, please go check it out. I won't pitch the other stuff because honestly, we'll be here for another three hours and I don't want to do that to you. But <laughs> if you want to check out all the things that I do, I, again, I said the best place is djstormageddon.com. You can find a link to literally everything there. Love it. All right. Well, uh, as far as we are concerned, if you are, in fact, listening to my voice right now, then you've done the hard part. You have found us in the aforementioned cesspool, and uh, I congratulate you for that. 
it is a it is a minor reprieve at best. But while you're here, <laughs> we hope you enjoyed your time, and uh, I would encourage you to check out the rest of our uh, backlog because it is ever burgeoning, and it still amazes me that we're on episode like. 200 and some odd like it's crazy but uh definitely go check that out and you know what we we also make things fairly easy for you all you have to do is head on over to the link tree so just go to linktree slash retro hangover that is l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash retro hangover and there you will find the 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 collection of buttons for you to tippy tap or or clicky clack on whatever you happen to be interacting with it with and uh it'll take you to places like uh i don't know our socials or perhaps our patreon or our merch store if you'd like to support the show in that fashion and as chris mentioned earlier you can get in on that patreon action for as little as a dollar and get yourself some sweet bonus audio content there's a a whole bevy of stuff out there as well so uh you will never be left wanting for for stuff to fill your ear holes with, I can assure you. Uh, and we also have our YouTube channel as well as the twitch.television space that we occupy uh, at regular intervals and do things that some may consider playing video games, uh, or at least akin to that. We have yet to find a blow-up pool or whatever the latest trend is. Um, but you know, we, we seem to do mostly okay. I don't know. So Chris, if, if people want to see us play, play games like marginally okay, uh, you know, where, where can they do that? How, how, and when? I'm just saying, if you go to twitch.tv slash retro hangover and watch a stream at 9 PM Eastern time on Sunday nights, and we get a, a new $5 patron, I will go topless for the remainder of that stream. That's all I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> Worth it. I don't see why not. Uh, it's it's tasteful nudity. True. Is it even nudity? I don't know how our social norms work anymore. But if you want to head, if you want to see if I get banned at Twitch.tv/slash Retro Hangover at 9 p.m. Eastern Time on Sundays, you can do that, and uh, we will have a good time. Or maybe Shane will get banned. I don't know if Shane will do the same thing. I you, you can find out. Let's find out together over at twitch.tv <laughs> slash retro hangover uh, at 9 p.m. Eastern times on Sundays. Also at King of Games 96, all patrons, all patrons, it's going now. It's available to all patrons. You all get it early. That's right. Early. It's the tournament to try and determine the overall champion of 1996 in terms of video games. What's the most important? What's the most relevant? What is the King of Games 1996 Head over to Patreon for as little as $1 a month, as we already said, and you can listen to all of them early. They will be in the main feed of May, but why wait that long? You can have them early. You can be cool. You want to be cool, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you'd be cool. Tell we all just, your friends that you know what happens. Say so we just we just yeah. swerved into like weird older brother drug dealer territory. I don't know what that was about. Yeah. Yeah. All right, all your cool. Friends do drugs. Yeah. They like smack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also like how you said, uh, I'll keep this succinct and here we go. And it wasn't because I do that literally no. all the yep. time. So every, every <laughs> time, every, every time. time. Yeah. Never, never not fails. funny. Yep. Well, uh, with all of that being said, until next time, play with your zero missioned out joysticks. <laughs>
Shane here with a quick message. You know, the one rule Chris and I have always gone by regarding advertisements is this. It has to be something we use and can personally vouch for. If you know me, you know I love coffee. And Bones Coffee Company has been my go-to for home brewing for quite some time now. Their small batch beans come in an impressive variety of flavors like Mint Invaders from Chocolate Space or Electric Unicorn, which I swear tastes exactly like Fruity Pebbles. And the best part? No added sugar or calories involved, just natural flavors infused right into the beans themselves. Build your own sample pack of five four ounce bags to find out which flavors speak to you, or jump in head first with full 12 ounce bags. They've even got K-Cups. Step up your homebrew game with Bones Coffee by visiting bit.ly slash rhpbones. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash R-H-P-B-O-N-E-S.